Now, when Buddha explained the Four Noble Truths, he said, birth is suffering, old age or aging is suffering, death is suffering, and so on. So we will go by that and we will study uh, that, that explanation in detail. Are you familiar with the first summer? No? Oh. Okay, now you go to paragraph 31. So what, what do you find there? Birth is suffering, aging is suffering, death is suffering. That, that is the, the description given by the Buddha of uh, the Four Noble Truths, the first one, this is the first one. So here Buddha said, birth is suffering, right? That is one thing. And then, aging. So, birth is suffering, aging is suffering, death is suffering, and then, sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief, and despair are suffering, and then association with unloved. Uh, please, please read it. Mm. And the separation from the loved is suffering, and then... So this is the explanation of the, the noble truth of suffering. So we, we will try to understand each one of them. So Buddha said, birth is suffering, aging, aging means to get old, decay is suffering, and death is suffering, sorrow, lamentation, and also are suffering. Here, uh, birth means actually not, not, not the coming out of mother's womb, but here means the, the conception. Now, for human beings, and they have to stay in their mother's womb for, say, nine months or ten months, and then uh, the mother gives birth to the child. But here, birth means not uh, giving birth to the child, but the moment when conception takes place. So, the very beginning of one life, so that is called jati, or birth here. So according to this teaching, birth begins not with coming out of the mother's body, but begins with the moment when conception takes place. So from that time on, it is called jati or birth. So here, Buddha said that birth is suffering. Now to be in the mother's womb and then to be born, all these involves suffering. That the baby has to stay in the mother's body for a long time, in a very narrow place and so on, and you can imagine how a baby would suffer before, even before it was born. So, Buddha said, birth is suffering. And in the commentary, there's a long description of how uh, how great the suffering there is, 
during the time when the when the the baby is in the mother's womb and so on and you can read it later so birth is uh, the described as suffering why why is birth suffering birth is called suffering because it is the base for all suffering now once there is a rebirth there is also old age and death and disease and so on so all these we encounter or we experience because there is birth if there were no birth we would not suffer all these things so uh, since birth is the base for all suffering birth is also described as suffering now you turn to paragraph 42 about four lines down you will say all this this jati is the base for all this dukha something like that just above the verse thus rebirth is this rebirth is the base of all dukha something like that there 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 are verses right yeah above above the verses what did what do you find eh hey, yeah right base or something right so jati no but is said to be to be suffering or dukha because is is the base for suffering so you 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 note it down in in your no note paper you say here birth right and on the on the on the other space you say because it is the base this is for suffering so birth is said to be suffering because it is the basis for all suffering we we experience in one life now the next one is jara i mean aging or getting old so getting old is also described as suffering getting old means not when you become 40 50 60 70 years of age but getting old begins immediately after birth so immediately after birth there is the aging because moment after moment you are becoming older and older now you i i, I don't know your name hm avi amy ha uh, so people will say you are young right you are growing up but according to this definition you are growing older and older do you like it <laughs> right so from the moment you 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 took conception right you you are getting older and older day by day so you are older than you were one year ago right and you 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 are older than the time when you enter this uh, this hall right so you are getting older and older and older that is what we call jara hmm? so in in the world we say oh this girl is growing up and uh, to be a woman and so on but 
according to the teaching, you are getting older and older and older, and you don't like to be old. Hmm? No? <laughs> but can you escape it? Can you stop it? Can you run away from it? No. That That is the one aspect of jara, I mean, aging, being dukkha, suffering. You don't like it, but you have to take it. Right? And also, when one becomes old, there are many things that uh, that one doesn't like. Now, when you get old, your body becomes weak. Not you, you, you are not strong as you are young, and that you will understand only when you get to be seventy years old or eighty years old. Now, you cannot walk as fast as before, or you cannot pick up things and so on, and then. Your eyesight becomes weak, you have to put on glasses, and your hearing may be impaired and so on. So all these come from aging, because you, you, uh, your body is getting older and older, it, it has become less and less efficient. And you no longer uh, look young when you are 60, 70 or 80 years old, and then you forget many things when you get old. And when you get old, sometimes younger people don't want to be with you. Then they may say, oh, this old, old, old man, old woman eh, is interfering with us. We don't want to be near to him or to her. So uh, you are like left out eh, from, from the family or something like that. So all these you suffer because there is old age, there is aging. Because you become old, you have to suffer all these. And also sometimes, uh, people act like, like, like a child when they become very old. So all these you suffer because there is old age. So old age is also described as Dukkha. Now, please turn to paragraph 44. About the end of the paragraph 44, what do you find there? Right. Now, it gives two, two Two, uh, two reasons, right? The first one is difficult to understand. The second one is just because it is the basis for dukkha, it is also dukkha. But the first one is because it is sankhara dukkha bhavato. I mean, because it is the, the formation dukkha. Now, you should understand at least three kinds of dukkha. Huh? Three kinds of dukkha. The first dukkha is called, in Pali, dukkha, dukkha. Because it is a real dukkha. Now, wait, wait. Uh, you go back to... Um, you go back to paragraph 34. There are different kinds of dukkha. So, I want to pick up just those three. There, there are many, about seven or eight, but just three. Dukkha, dukkha. Intrinsic dukkha or something like that. Huh? And then, viparinama dukkha. That means dukkha when change comes. Viparinama means to change. So caused by change. And sankara dukkha means dukkha because it is sankara. Sankara means conditioned. Anything that is conditioned is called sankara. So there are these three kinds of dukkha. 
Now, when you hit yourself, you suffer pain, right? That is a real dukkha. So that is called dukkha, dukkha. Sometimes you are you are sorry. Eh? So at that time you 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 suffer this real dukkha. This real dukkha is not not difficult to understand. You don't need you do, you don't need meditation to understand this dukkha. Eh? You hit yourself and there is pain and you say it is dukkha. Or you are sorry for something and that is also mental mental dukkha. And the next one is dukkha when it is changed. That means sukha. Really, the the pleasurable feeling is also called dukkha. Because when it is no, no when it is gone, you feel sad, you feel sorry. So you are enjoying something, right? When that enjoyment disappears, is finished, then you feel something like a sorrow. So, although it is sukha, it is pleasurable when it is existing. When it uh, when it disappears, it is a cause for suffering. So, even according to the teaching of the Buddha, the what people call happiness is actually suffering, suffering in change, because suffering when when it is changed. And then the other one, the last one is called Sankhara Dukkha. I will talk about it later also. Sankhara Dukkha, because it has a arising and disappearing. Anything that has arising and disappearing is called Dukkha, Sankhara Dukkha. So there are these three kinds of Dukkhas. Now here Jara, I mean old age is described as Dukkha because for two reasons, right? So the first reason is because they are Sankhara Dukkha, because they are Dukkha, uh, because they are uh, Kama formations, and they are Dukkha because they are the basis for Dukkha. So according to this, Jara or old age is suffering. Okay, later on you, you will understand more. And then the third one is death. Death is dukkha. Now death is suffering. So death is suffering because it is the basis for dukkha. When death comes, everybody suffers. We are all afraid of death, and so when death comes, we are afraid and we don't want to die and so on. So death is the basis for Dukkha. Therefore, it is described as Dukkha. Now, you will find that in, in 46. Paragraph number 46, just above the verses. Because it is the basis for Dukkha, it is called Dukkha. Right? So, death is a basis for suffering. Therefore, death is called suffering. So, these are the reasons why they are called suffering. And then next one is sorrow. Sorrow is also suffering. So they, they are very uh, easy to understand. And sorrow is suffering because it is the real sorrow and also it is the basis for dukkha. Uh, it is a real dukkha and also it is a basis for dukkha. Therefore, the sorrow is called suffering. That you find in, in paragraph 48. So. 
sorrow and then lamentation. Lamentation means uh, crying, saying some things. Sometimes people cry, saying saying some 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 things. So that is called lamentation, or in Pali, Paridewa. So lamentation is also called dukkha because it is sankhara dukkha, and because it is the basis for dukkha. And then pain, bodily pain and mental pain. Both are called dukkha or suffering because they are the real dukkha and also they bring mental pain. Uh, paragraph 50. And then grief. It is, it is also mental pain. It is called dukkha because it is the basis for dukkha and also it causes the bodily, bodily dukkha. It, it brings also bodily dukkha. And the last one is called despair. That means intense sorrow. And it is also called dukkha because it is sankhara dukkha, paragraph 52. Also, it burns the uh, mind or consciousness and also it is the, what did you say there? Of the body, paragraph 52, just above the, uh, the verse, it is dukkha because, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, that one. So, these are the reasons why uh, despair is called suffering. And then, association with unloved. Here, unloved means both animate and inanimate things. To be with a person who you don't love is suffering. To be with a thing who, that you do not like is suffering. Now that is very plain, right? If you have to live with somebody whom you don't like, then it is great suffering for you. And if you have to live, let us say, in a place where you don't want to be, like a, a house, very old house, right? And if you have to be uh, using a car which is very old, then you don't like it, but Say you don't you you have no money and you have to uh, to, to be with that old car and that is also a sub kind of suffering. So to to be associated with beings and also with the the inanimate things that you don't like is suffering. And it is suffering because it is the basis for suffering. Paragraph 54. And the next one is to be dissociated from suffering. Not to be with those whom you like, those uh, persons and those things that you like. You don't you want to be with somebody and you, you cannot be with that person. So there there is suffering. And you don't want to get away from say, a very beautiful house, but you have to get away from it. So that is also called suffering. So to be dissociated from, 
the beings and things that you love or that is lovely is suffering. It is suffering because it is also the basis for sorrow which is dukkha. Now, next one, next one is important. Not to get what you want is suffering. But here, Buddha explains that not you get what you want means sometimes people wish in, in, in this way, it would be good if I do not get old. It would be good if I do not die and so on. Can, can, that, uh, and can that kind of wish be fulfilled? You say you don't want to get old, right? But you cannot, you cannot get that wish. Uh, no. So that is what is called here. Not getting what one wants is suffering. Not just say you want a new car and you don't get it, that is suffering. That, that, that is another thing. But here what Buddha meant is, oh, it would be very good if we, if we are not subject to rebirth, if we are not uh, subject to old age, if we are not subject to death and so on. We may, we may uh, make wishes like that, but we will never get those wishes. So not, not to get what one desires is suffering means not to wish, not, not to get the wish that we, we do not get old, we do not die and so on. That is also suffering. Now the last one, the last sentence. In, in short, the five aggregates of clinging are suffering. Okay, now you have gone through some truth of suffering. Now, and up till this moment, the definition given by the Buddha or the exposition given by the Buddha about suffering is not difficult to understand actually. Now, that birth is dukkha. Huh? You can understand easily that birth is dukkha, right? To, to, to get old is suffering. You can understand it. Do you need to meditate to understand this? You don't need to, huh? So you can easily understand. And death is suffering. And to be associated with those whom you love is suffering. To be dissociated from those who you love is suffering. Uh, not to get what you want is suffering. Right? So these are not, not so difficult to understand. Now, the understanding of dukkha has two levels. One is the popular level. That means easy level. Now the other level is philosophical level. That is more important. Just understanding dukkha on popular level is not enough. In order to, to get really wearied with life, huh? to get really uh, wearied with the mind and matter or five aggregates, you need to understand dukkha on the philosophical level, or deeper understanding of dukkha you need. So, the last statement Buddha made about the dukkha 
the truth of dukkha is uh, what in brief the five aggregates of clinging are suffering or in short in short the five aggregates that are subject to clinging are suffering now that sentence is not easy to understand actually if you want to understand this you have to meditate only through vipassana meditation can you really understand this now first the five aggregates of clinging now you must understand them you know the five aggregates you don't know <laughs> yeah. the first one is rupa uh, matter matter aggregate aggregate means a group so matter aggregate and number two the second one is feeling aggregate and number three is called perception you will not find them here in this <laughs> because uh, one thing you must understand about visodhimagga is it was written by a monk for monks and so many things were taken for granted the other thought uh, or assumed that you already understand the five aggregates so he will not explain the five aggregates here <laughs> And that is one reason why uh, Visuddhimagga is difficult to understand. Now, a book written by a monk for monks, okay, <laughs> meditating monks. So, number one, what is what is the number one? Rupa or Mera. Uh, the, the second one, feeling in Pali Vedana, and three is perception. Uh, sanya in in pali it is called sanya and number 4 is uh it called formations no mental formations they call in pali they are called sankara and five is consciousness vijnana vijnana consciousness so these are called five aggregates now we are made up of these five aggregates now a man is made up of these five aggregates a woman is made up of these five aggregates an animal is made up of these five aggregates so we find all these five aggregates in human beings animals and and celestial beings or devas and so on but outside outside living beings like like trees houses and so on there is only one aggregate the first one matter aggregates now these five aggregates can be the object of clinging now you have you have done us in clinging also here in pali it is called upadana clinging clinging means taking hold of now whenever we we experience an object if we are not mindful we always hold on to that object sometimes we take that object we we grasp you, you understand the word grasp to take to take firmly no to uh, you you grasp or you cling to the object 
by greed, by attachment, or sometimes by a wrong view, you, you, you may take this thing as a permanent thing. So if you take things as permanent, then you have one wrong view. If you take things as an, as, as an atta, right, as, as the soul, then that is another wrong view. So whenever we experience an object, we tend to cling to that object, sometimes by, uh, by greed or sometimes by wrong view. So the aggregate which we can take, uh, which we can cling to by greed or wrong view are called aggregates that are subject to clinging. That means there are some aggregates that we cannot cling to by way of greed and wrong view. Now, in order to understand this, you have to understand Abhidhamma. <laughs> okay. <laughs> For example, Nibbana. Although we may talk about Nibbana, we cannot really take Nibbana by way of greed, attachment or wrong view. So Nibbana is not this, not subject to clinging. And there are some types of consciousness like the, the path consciousness and fruition consciousness that are not the object of clinging. So here the aggregates that are object of clinging means ag aggregates that can be the object of clinging, that we can cling to. So here Buddha said, all five aggregates that are the object of clinging are dukkha, suffering. Now here it is not easy to understand or to accept this statement because sometimes we enjoy ourselves. You enjoy good food, good companionship, or sometimes you may go to a show and enjoy, and you are happy at that time, right? Are you suffering or you are happy at, when you are uh, watching a show you like, or you are, you are listening to a song you like? Hmm? Huh? You are happy, right? <laughs> yeah. But according to the Buddha, you are suffering even at that time. Uh, can you accept that? <laughs> uh, so according to the Buddha, you are, you are uh, still suffering at that time. Although you are happy, although you are enjoying uh, yourself. Because Buddha said, even the jhanas, now when you are in the state of jhana, you are very happy. And there is almost no, no suffering uh, of the kind uh, people know. But even the jhanas Buddha described as suffering. Now the, the immaterial jhanas are the, 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 the highest of the jhanas. So when uh, you get the immaterial jhana, you, you experience the highest form of, of the mundane happiness. But even Buddha describes them as suffering. Why? Hmm? <laughs> why, why, why are they said to be suffering or why are they called suffering by the Buddha? There is a key, you must understand this. Buddha said, whatever is impermanent is suffering. Now we must understand this clearly. 
whatever is impermanent is suffering. So if you want to know whether a thing is suffering or not, try to find out whether it is impermanent or not. Right? You want to know whether this is suffering or not. Then try to find out whether it has a beginning and an end. I mean, whether it is, it is impermanent. If it is impermanent, then it is called suffering by the Buddha. And whatever has arising and disappearing is impermanent. You say something is impermanent. Eh? Why do you say that thing is impermanent? Because it comes and goes, right? So, whatever has a beginning and an end is impermanent, and whatever is impermanent is dukkha, suffering. Now, that is taught by the Buddha. We must understand this. So, you are enjoying yourself, huh? but that enjoyment will come to an end, right? It will not last forever. So, when it uh, comes to an end and it is no more, there is no enjoyment. So, Buddha's explanation is that whatever is impermanent is actually suffering or dukkha. Here, we must understand also the word dukkha. Whenever we hear the word dukkha, or the English word suffering, we think of pain only. Now, it is sometimes, say, we hit ourselves and we say, oh, it is dukkha. Right? So, when we say dukkha, we, we, we think it is only pain. Pain, pain. pain is dukkha. Or you are sorry and you, you, you have mental pain, right? But here, dukkha means more than that. More than pain, more than painfulness. It is more than that. And so, in some books, it is translated as unsatisfactory. It may be a little better. The explanation given in the commentaries is that the mark of dukkha, the sign of dukkha, is constant oppression by arising and disappearing. Now that is important. Something is called dukkha because it is constantly oppressed by arising and disappearing. That is, the, that is the meaning of dukkha, not just painful. If we, if we understand dukkha as painful, our understanding of dukkha is very shallow. So you hit yourself by accident, huh? or you, 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 you prick yourself, you, you, you are, your finger with a needle and there is pain. So you say, oh, it is dukkha, right? But that, that kind of dukkha you can understand without, without practice of vipassana meditation. But what dukkha you must understand through the practice of vipassana meditation is different. That is being constantly oppressed by arising and disappearing. That you must understand. And that you can understand only when you practice vipassana meditation and 
and see things coming and going, coming and going. Now you are practicing, let us say you are practicing vipassana meditation. So when you practice vipassana meditation, you have to to make notes of the object. Now you have to observe the objects. So there is one object and you, you try to be mindful of it or you make a mental note. Right? And let's say there is the thinking. Your, your mind goes out and you say thinking, thinking, thinking. Then after two or three notes, it is gone. But there's another object. Then you take that object. Suppose there is a sound. Then you take that sound and say hearing, hearing, hearing. And it disappears. It is finished. No more. Then there's another object like pain in, in, in the body. Then there's pain, pain, pain. You, you, you make notes. And then there's another object and you make notes of it and you see it arises and it disappears. So when you have to take these objects one after another and see them as arising and disappearing, arising and disappearing, many, many objects, you, you come to the understanding that, oh, everything is oppressed by arising and disappearing. That constant oppression by, by arising and disappearing is what Buddha meant by dukkha. So that, that is what I call philosophical understanding of dukkha. That is very important. Most people don't, don't understand dukkha in that way, especially those who do not practice <coughs> vipassana meditation. So you can get this, this kind of understanding of dukkha only through vipassana meditation. Now you, 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 you listen to my talk and I'm talking to you, or you may read books on this and you, you, you think you understand. But that understanding is not your understanding. That is the, I call them borrowed understanding. It is not your, your own understanding. Somebody says this and you say, oh, it may be true. Or you read in a book and then, oh, it is true. But unless and until you see for yourself, through practice of vipassana meditation, that, that knowledge is not your knowledge. So, by practice of vipassana meditation, we are making uh, these, uh, these kinds of knowledge our own knowledge. Only then is it called true vipassana knowledge. So, vipassana knowledge cannot be gained through just listening to talks or reading books or just speculating. You have to practice. That means you have to observe objects as and when they arise, when they are uh, existing, that means at the present moment. So that is why in Vipassana meditation, to be mindful of the present object is very important. Only when you observe the object at the moment, can you see it arise and it disappear. If you are not looking at something, you will not see it. Right? Okay, take the example of the lightning. Are there lightnings in, in this country? Lightning and thunder, right? So, suppose you are looking at the sky. There are clouds and you are looking at the sky and then there is a flash of lightning. Because you are looking at the sky and you, are, you, you look at the, the lightning when it flashes, you see, you really see the lightning. If you don't look at the sky at that moment, you will not see the lightning, right? Yeah. If you look at the sky before it flashes and not, not, not at the moment it flashes, you will not see, right? So only when you are looking at the, 
the light, light the, the, the lightning, when it flashes, do you really see it? Right? In the same way, only when the object is present and you are observing it or making notes, as seeing, seeing, or whatever, do you really see it? Otherwise, you don't see. So that is why it is very important that you uh, make notes of or you observe the, the object at the moment. So here, every object you, you, you watch through vipassana meditation, you know that, that every object comes and comes and goes, comes and goes. And so there is a, a sense of being oppressed by something and that something is arising and disappearing. So that is very important. So we must understand Dukkha on this philosophical level also. Uh, only then will our understanding of Dukkha be uh, complete. Otherwise, we are un our understanding of Dukkha may be uh, shallow and not, not enough to push us to uh, getting wearied with mind and matter. So getting wearied with mind and matter is a very important stage in vipassana meditation. Now here, uh, this kind of understanding is not uh, explained in the commentary. In the commentary, what, what is explained is, because these five aggregates are also the basis for dukkha, they are also called dukkha. That is also easy to understand. Because you have these five aggregates, eh? because you have this body, you will suffer old age, you will suffer disease, you will suffer death, and then you will suffer sorrow, lamentation, and so on, so long as you have this, this body, right? So this body is also said to be dukkha. So that also is not so, not so difficult to understand. But the other thing, to, to see the, the constant, constant um, oppression by arising and disappearing is important and that you see only through vipassana meditation. So this is the understanding of dukkha. Now you can understand that only through vipassana meditation can you really understand a noble truth of suffering, right? If you do not practice vipassana, you may be able to talk about dukkha, but that is not deep understanding of the dukkha. So that is why we we need to practice vipassana to understand the first noble truth, the noble truth of suffering. Now sometimes people say, oh, I'm very uh, wearied with my life because I'm suffering. I have uh, chronic diseases or uh, I met with failure and so on. But these people don't really understand dukkha. Right? Do you think they really understand dukkha? <laughs> yeah? Their understanding of dukkha is very shallow, right? Because they, they are in, in, one, uh, in one or another uh, way of suffering and so they, they, they think it is suffering. What if they are prosperous and if they are healthy and so on? Will they understand dukkha? No, if they don't, they don't practice, they will not understand, right? So it is only through vipassana practice that you can really understand the the noble truth of suffering. Sorry.